Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the Ringside Nutrition Podcast with me, your host, registered sports nutritionist, Jack Coke. In this podcast series, I'm talking to expert guests who work in the combat sports field, including academic researchers, performance nutritionists, SNC and mobility coaches, exercise physiologists, and trainers and coaches themselves. I'll also be chatting to current and ex-fighters to find out more about their approach to nutrition and their reflections on making weight and the tools which they use to help them perform at their best. Now we're on to episode 10 of the podcast, which brings us to the end of season one. And I know you guys are upset, but don't worry. I'm bringing you season two of the podcast with a brand new look and feel and a host of new guests towards the end of spring, start of summertime this year. So before we start thinking about season two and getting excited for it, let's focus on the last episode of the season. So on today's show, I spoke with strength and conditioning coach for amateur boxers all the way from New Zealand, Leanne Pritchard. Myself and Leanne connected on social media a few months back and we started discussing things all about nutrition, training, boxing, health and lifestyle and then I started working with a few of her boxers that she looks after. In this episode we spoke all about the differences between professional and amateur boxing and the physical demands between the two sports, why amateurs need to adopt a 52 week approach to their health, training and nutrition, the dangers of poor weight cutting practices on performance why it's so important to periodize a training week and have each session's goal in mind, the long-term impacts of concussion on health and the benefits creatine may have. And we also spoke heavily about the amount of fighters that we've both seen adopt low-carbohydrate diets and how this has a huge impact on on their energy levels. We also quickly touched on why you have to be all in when you work with fighters and you really do have to give a crap about the fighters that you work with. Now, I hope you guys find this episode useful and learn something from it. I really enjoyed getting Leanne on the show for an hour or so and chatting with her about all these things. I think it comes across that she's super passionate about what she does. Um, So yeah, let me shut up and you guys can enjoy the episode I recorded with Leanne Pritchard. Enjoy. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Ringside Nutrition Podcast. Today I'm joined by an SNC coach for boxers all the way from New Zealand, Leanne Pritchard. Leanne, welcome to the show. Hey, nice to be here. Yeah, it's a miserable dark cold <laughs> morning here in the UK but it's a midsummer in New Zealand now it sure is it's been 26 degrees all day and the sun is shining it's now like nighttime here but yeah it's glorious we're very spoiled yeah well it's great to have you on the show Leanne I wanted to get you on because we connected on on social media and I'm, I'm working with a couple of your the fighters you look after um Yes. And you're big on big on the SNC. You're an SNC coach, um, and you look after the amateur fighters. It'd be really cool for the guys listening to sort of hear about your background and how you got into how you got into coaching amateur boxers. Yeah. Um, well, my background. I mean, I've gosh, I've been a um, sports person myself since I was actually five years old. I was a competitive athlete, very very young. Um, and it was always a second sort of second job for me. I had a big, I lived in London for 22 years and had a, a big corporate career, but I came back to New Zealand about four and a half years ago and got back into the fitness industry sort of full time. And I kind of fell in love with boxing probably about three and a half, four years ago myself. Um, sadly, I can't ever get in the ring myself because I have um, had a brain tumor taken out. So it's all good. But my next best thing for me was to be able to um, add some value to boxers and train them as a strength and conditioning coach. So um, it's been a very much a kind of learn on the job. We've over the last kind of year and a half, two years, I've trained um, a professional female fighter 
um, which was fantastic. Um, and now I've got sort of more into working with the amateur fighters because we are very spoilt right now in New Zealand. We, um, unlike the rest of the world, we had one big lockdown back in sort of, uh, what, March, April, 2020. But other than that, we've pretty much had a continuous fight season. So um, we've been pretty busy, um, which is amazing. And, you know, I work in a gym where there's lots of people coming through who might be in the corporate, you know, fighting corporate and they're wanting to go amateur. So um, I love fight, uh, sort of coaching amateur fighters because they've got to be ready 52 weeks of the year um, and they've got to maintain their walking weight and maintain their fitness. And I suppose I'm a coach that kind of understands that quite well, even in my own training. Um, and I think something you and I have talked about a lot, which we can go into, but there's a lot of old school stuff in boxing, which um, is trying to, I'm trying to change a lot of that thinking um, around getting ready to weigh in, you know, two days before you weigh in, like with amateur, that it, people do do it and it's very dangerous, but um, trying to get them on a better sort of plan with what they're eating, how they're training, looking at their training at a, at a week or even looking at sort of three to six months at a time. So we know um, where their peaks and troughs are and how to maintain their fitness. Um, so I love it. I absolutely, I love the sport. Um, and so being a strength and conditioning coach um, is a fantastic way of me getting so involved in the sport and giving something to it. Yeah, it's crazy so, how yeah. you just kind of like fall into it and then you develop that. That passion for it even though perhaps you've not yeah. trained or been involved with it since a kid but you you just develop such a big kind of passion for it and and love for the sport and working with the people and the fighters um, well I think I still think I mean it's the most skill the skill behind boxing the art behind boxing I'm just so unbelievably passionate about and the coaches the boxing coaches that I work alongside they're just such inspiring people everything they've learned and the dedication and discipline that goes with boxing is second to no, it is extraordinary. Um, and I like working with athletes that are willing to be that disciplined, but by the same token, then it's also teaching them how to approach that with a possibly a more health driven approach, I think too, so they can stay in the sport and keep going rather than burn out too quickly. Yeah. I think that's, that's what we want to talk about today. And I think you made a really good point there about that whole 52 week approach and the way things are going now, perhaps in the professional game, especially in the UK with the coronavirus and stuff. It's, I mean, myself and the way that I coach and the way that I approach nutrition perhaps is leaning more towards that whole 52 week approach as opposed to it being a fight camp and then they're off for three months. I think that mentality has kind of shifted with the virus so with coronavirus of how yeah. uh, the fighters are now having to adopt perhaps the approach which you take with your amateurs the professionals are now having to approach because because of the situation they find themselves in they don't have okay you've got eight weeks to prepare for this fight let's go it's more of okay uh shows are back on next week would you like to fight so maybe it's something yeah. for the professionals to take on board let's let's dive straight into that and the 52 week approach with the amateurs why the amateurs that you work with, why do they almost have to have that, that approach? Well, first, I mean, for example, um, in the lead up to Christmas last year, um, you know, one of my fighters, it was almost five weekends in a row. Um, so a tournament, a competition every, like, you know, for five weeks. So you've really got to approach that, you know, that's, that's 
uh, and some of those competitions, so when they're national level, or we had um, the North Island champs, the nationals the next week in New Zealand, you might have to fight twice in a day, not even once. So the approach to that mentally and physically is, is very different. Um, so, you know, we, like his conditioning, for example, I, I pretty much stick with three, three minute rounds of conditioning, but they are absolutely How? beyond <laughs> intense. Um, and I don't know if anyone even follows me on Instagram, you'll see like I, when I post what the boxers are doing, I mean, and the thing is I, most of it I can actually do myself. So I know what they're doing, but it's to get, and then, you know, we'll do a session, then we'll do some strength work and then we'll do sort of a 50 cal for time on an assault bike, because I've got to get their head ready that they may have to fight at nine in the morning. And then they may have to fight at four in the afternoon at a tournament. Um, but also staying in that level of conditioning and strength um, and maintaining your walking weight. So, you know, there's no fluctuation anymore. It's not like professional. You can't gain it all back to lose it over an eight-week camp. You've got to stay. So we really work, and, you know, this is why, you know, I love having the, the team having access to people like you. We don't have, we don't have, a te- we don't have a lot of good sports nutritionists in New Zealand. It's a bit of a problem. Um, and food, they've all learned how important food is to their sleep, their energy, their recovery. Um, and the other side of it is recovery, things like physios, um, ice baths. You know, we've, we've built a whole plan. Um, so it doesn't, it's not just about your sparring or just about your SNC or just about your food. It's, it's a whole package deal. Mm. Um, and I think the more they can become informed and educated, the more they see how much better they feel and how much better they fight. Because the thing, and I know you say this too, is it's not just about weighing in, it's about winning the fight. Um, So it's that mentality that there's just, you know, there's more spokes to that wheel than just, you know, that concept of, yep, I'll get on the scale. And the thing about an amateur fighter is they weigh in on the morning of the fight, not the night before. There's not 24 hours to recover. So you don't want to be going into that weigh-in on the morning, say 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning, and your fight might be 5 p.m. that night. You don't want to go into that weigh-in having starved yourself or been in a sauna for 24 hours before that weigh-in because you just don't have the time to pull it together. Yeah, and then a lot, so, of, a lot of fighters yeah. will will do those morning weigh-ins and then forget that, always say that coming into a weigh-in and if you're tapering down your food intake or your fluid intake um, or doing what most people do is just starving themselves and then they try and chuck too much into their system or their body back in after the weigh-in the gut and the body is very sensitive so then it can cause huge stomach problems when they start chucking loads of um, you know carbohydrates and fluid and electrolytes at high rates because the body goes for a stage where it deprives itself almost when people are starving themselves and then it just flood everything back in it's almost like the gut says i can't deal with this like what are you doing to yeah. me um and then you've got the nerves which come into play with fighters that can't really eat anything so they starve themselves and then they can't actually eat or drink anything because they're nervous on fight day so yeah it puts so much importance on that year-round approach and, and almost staying just like like we said off air didn't we about maybe staying one to 1.5 kilos yeah Sort of above above the weight is that kind of the the weight which you find works well for the amateur oh, i mean the amateur fighters i work with they literally walk around only a kilo tops two kilos even over christmas with all the food we had over christmas i think tops two kilos over their fight weight so we don't have to do any any dehydration any saunas any starvation they all eat 
carbohydrates and eat normally all the time. And we've the other thing we're developing is sort of protocols. So for example, we'll test things like, um, I know with Taufa, you know, if he's if he weighs in two days before a fight, for before a weekend fight at 76. Mm. 0.5 and his fight weight is 75 we actually know things like a 2k run he can lose a kilo so we've we've developed a few protocols so he never feels kind of he never feels like it's not in his grasp um and that way you know we know that we can do a particular session or and and to know your body that well to be as attuned that attuned to your body that you don't have to go through any of those sort of deprivation level um, ways of getting your weight down it just means that they're comfortable all the time um, they're sleeping all the time they've got full energy all the time um, and these guys are eating like they're eating really normal food you know ice cream bread all the things that that people think they can't eat but they're training I think almost with amateur you your training is even at an even higher level your intensity of training is mm. constant so they're burning so much energy all the time. And when they realize they can eat completely normally, um, I think your body relaxes to that a little bit as well. So they find a pattern and find a, find a rhythm to it. Um, and, you know, even, you know, we will use like over Christmas, we had a bit of an off season with, with Taufa, for example. So we used it to up the protein and to do a bit of lifting, which I would never be able to do with him during that six week period, because I, I can't afford for them to gain any muscle mass because it, to gain muscle mass, you're going to have to gain some weight. And I haven't got any body fat to play with, by the way, because I know what their body comps are. So they're not, they're, there's nothing to play with, but we can try and do a little bit of that to build a bit of power in the off season to then know that for him to lose two kilos is easy. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't, it's just, we just tweak things a little bit and, and we're ready for next week, which is nationals. So, um, but as I said to you before, we have to look at that 52 week, like we look at their fight schedule for the whole year, if we can, um, and plan it out. So, um, you know, he's got his boxing coach and really my job as a strength and conditioning coach is just to make him so fit that he doesn't even have to think about that bit when he's in the ring. Um, the boxing side of it is, a, you know, that they obviously have to spend more time with that. My job is that he doesn't have to think about whether he can still have power in round three um, or whether he can still, his footwork is still up to scratch. Um, that's my job is to get them fit enough so they don't have to worry about it. Um, and, you know, we've, I've even seen over six months, you know, watching amateur fights because amateur is a very different sport. You know, they come out in that first round you have to come out with everything and pretty much win it. You know, you almost do know who's going to win in, in round one. So they have to be even fitter in that mm. first three minutes. And that's hard because mentally you've got to go in with all those nerves and all that adrenaline um, and, uh, you know, strength and conditioning as a, a, and food are incredibly helpful tools um, at that point because if you haven't got that right, you're likely, you know, and I've seen it a lot before where people are an amateur, they are struggling to make the way in. Um, so they're having to sort of cut too much to maintain a walking fight weight that's too low for their natural body size. Um, and you see the result of that when they go to fight, unfortunately, which is no good.
yeah and what I like so much about the work that you do with with your amateur guys Leanne is that you're actually preparing them for a fight <laughs> where I think a lot of the problems is that a lot of SNC coaches or trainers um, and nutritionists to be fair will adopt the approach of just training with no actual intent whereas you're doing the stuff with the assault bike and you're going into those those the high intensity zones um anaerobics yes doing the injury prevention stuff and then you're being clever and building some strength in the off season um and it's the same with nutrition like with the focus on just making the weight and then cutting things like fluid or carbohydrates or electrolytes to basically just try and drop weight but it's not helping them gear up to perform um so I just yeah. yeah I love that approach you take and I think that a lot can be done with with fighters and trying to change that that mindset which will which we'll get on to talking about but well, uh, yeah I mean I every session that I do with a fighter we sit down and look at the notes that I've made on what they're going to do and they have to approach the session with me like they would approach a fight so I like mentally there's got to be a game plan so if I if I've developed a, a nine minute conditioning session for them I make them look at it and tell me how they're going to do it because if you look at it on paper it just looks like hell um <laughs> but um but everything is about training with purpose you know so for example the the structure to their strength and conditioning sessions have to mimic the way their mind and body is going to work in the ring for me that's you know i'll have peaks and troughs within a three minute round which will mimic their fight um, so everything comes with a purpose. Um, cause I mean, I suppose having been, I think that's helpful having been an athlete myself, because you know that you mentally, like the body will pretty much do what the mind tells it to do to a point, mm. but that's why I, I really do believe you've got to, um, you have to train with purpose. Um, you know, that's why, for example, um, you know, long runs are, are great for boxers in terms of their mental edge. But, you know, if they come to me on a conditioning day and say, oh, yo, you know, I've just gone and done a 10K run and then an hour later they've got a session with me. And I'm like, tell me why you just did that. Like, seems to be, why would you do seems that? Seems to be the uh, the magic number. I hear that a lot as well, Leanne, of oh, I'm going to go and do a 10K run. And I almost think, okay, well, what what's magical about a, a 10K run? Um, and approaching each session, I've, I've, I've sat down and I'm, I make a... a big deal about this and I'm very transparent with it I'm not a trainer I'm not a chef I'm not a boxing coach um, I'm a nutritionist um, yeah but I can sit down and I can look at a, a boxer's training week and I can say okay you shouldn't be doing a heavy lifting session or a sprint session at 8 a.m when you've sparred till 10 p.m the night before and we've not plugged in any gaps with getting any protein in or any fluids in after that sparring session you shouldn't be training that close together um or oh i'm doing sprints today and then i'm doing uh, sprints tomorrow morning and then i'm doing a 10k run there just seems to be from what i've seen there's yes. not enough people like you and you say there's not enough people like me um but that there's not enough kind of people telling them how to actually periodize their training week um and i know that's something that you're you're really big on each session has has a purpose right there's no point in walking into the gym yes and just picking up some weights or jumping on an assault bike or they wouldn't walk into the boxing gym with their coach and just start punching a bag like the session will be laid yeah. out yeah i mean we, we were laughing about this before but you know um the overtraining thing where they've done a sparring session till nine ten o'clock at night and then have an 8 a.m session booked in with me for example and then haven't told me that they sparred last night until they turn up to the session 
and tell me. And then I say, okay, what did you have for dinner? And what did you have for breakfast? I didn't get time for breakfast. And it's like, there is no session because um, you, it's just, it's too common. And it's not looking at their training as a whole, as a week, um, rather than just as a, from a sort of the time they wake up till the time they go to bed. Because all that happens is that the body just starts to break down and eventually you'll get injuries, fatigue, lack of sleep um, and tissue damage. Um, and then we've talked about this um, as well, but concussion, obviously they might go to spa and be exhausted. Um, and even with amateur, they'll be fighting. And then the risk of, of injury is so much higher with boxing um, because it's not just pulling a muscle, um, it's being hit in the head. Yeah, exactly. Um, because that. you haven't got enough energy. Exactly that. And I remember something which uh, that Reese Elite Step, the SNC coach who I had on on episode four of the podcast, said that the whole point of strength and conditioning is to put you in the best possible position for you to go and spar or perform in your sport. If your SNC doesn't support that and it's damaging it, then it needs to be taken out. So if you're if you've got one of your amateur guys, like using that example, coming in at eight a.m. after sparring the next night and they're absolutely fatigued, and you've said okay, we're not going to train. I think a lot of people need to kind of adopt that approach and look at the bigger picture as opposed to just saying, okay, let's train, 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 train. Yeah, no. Um, it's huge. Well, she said, instead, we, we, instead what I said, go, I said, let's go and have breakfast because that <laughs> actually would be more important to his competition next week than doing a session with me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> let's touch on concussion then. We said it there before. Concussion is such a huge area in, in combat sports, which I think a lot of people don't take too seriously, um, mm. but it can have like long-term effects on fighters' health. What, do you, what have you seen are the issues with concussion or are there any kind of horror stories or that, that you've um, Well, I mean, I think everyone knows the horror stories with boxing and unfortunately it's the side of the sport because I, like, I'm so passionate about the sport and you get used to seeing it. Um, I know people who don't follow boxing for them, it's it's a harder thing to see. But I think I would like to do more, see more in like in New Zealand. Um, obviously, we're a rugby nation, so um, rugby has a lot of concussions. In fact, I think in a, in a bizarre way, almost more that go unseen and unheard of. But we've been talking a lot. I've been talking a lot with different boxing coaches and different people about how we can be a little bit more um, on top of it as. I see it as an issue with mental health because it has long-term, it has serious deficit issues. Um, as someone who's not only had a brain tumor, but I've worked with some of, in the UK actually, some of the leading neurosurgeons and neuro-oncologists and neurologists there, um, I know the effect that, you know, that sort of traumatic brain injury has over and over and over and over again. And it's just not talked about enough because it's not the right thing to talk about it. But I think if we make it more open, when people are not feeling well, you know, they don't spar, they don't train and they don't fight um, and they get well before they get back in the ring again. I think that's a very important part. I mean, amateur is very different to professional. So here, if you, um, I saw it recently, if you get, um, if you get knocked out, you get a 30 day stand down. So that's good because that, you know, puts a checks and balance in place. But I think sparring, you know, I see a lot of concussion in sparring. Um, and I think one of the other things is, um, I mean, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but I've heard the doctors when they come 
back and check the boxer and they sort of do the standard you know am I holding two fingers up and okay I think you've got a mild concussion and you kind of want to go yeah really um obviously they've been in the ring but they don't talk about the delayed concussion which is not what happens for the next 24 hours but maybe four or five days later um and I personally I had delayed concussion very badly myself so I know what it's like so I think education is required um, across the board. Um, and then I would love to sort of see just more around, I mean, in New Zealand, maybe concussion clinics, places where, you know, boxers, fighters can go um, and be open and honest with people when they're not feeling right. Because often those feelings of not feeling right actually come with mental health issues. They come with feeling very down, losing your memory. Um, and the if you keep getting hit on top of getting hit when that's happening, um, the effects are, are shocking. Um, so I think it's something in the sport that does, you know, I mean, I know I talk about it a lot with different boxing coaches, but it just needs to be more open and honest without shame because it kind of comes with the whole, let's not talk about it because it's part of the sport. But if you look at boxing historically, you know, there are some pretty horrific stories that come out um, you know, 20 years down the track. So I think we need to approach it now. And I mean, I see a lot of much younger fighters, especially in amateur, you see 17 or 18 year olds fighting men and women. So we need to approach concussion much more seriously when they're that young too. Yeah, I think I think two of the issues which I've picked up from the nutrition side of things is, is number one, the fighters getting concussion whilst they're whilst they're dehydrated, right? So we could use yeah. an example of, of not wanting to drink anything before sparring and then going in to, into sparring sessions a bit dehydrated. And then I've talked about it on podcasts before about that layer of water surrounding and protecting the brain, which is kind of downregulated because a lack of fluid has been consumed, which then obviously leads on to, to making the brain more susceptible to, to any injury or mild traumatic brain injury. And then another one I've kind of big on is, is creatine with, with fighters and yeah which i wanted to talk to you about with the whole kind of associated weight gain which which has been shown to be minimal um and only really important i'd only really want to take creatine out of a fighter's diet if it was perhaps a, a an mma fighter which had a, a large percentage of their weight to cut in fight week maybe towards the the 9.5 10 percent range but is is there anything that you've seen working with fighters of they do, don't want to take creatine because of that associated weight gain do you think there needs to be some kind well, of it's funny. It's it's actually through you. Like the the supplement thing. Um, I mean, until they have access to a nutritionist like yourself, it's all a bit of trial and error. You know, they go into a shop literally, and someone says, "Try this and try that." So they're not necessarily doing it correctly until someone puts them on the right track. The creatine thing, I didn't know anything about that until I heard you talk about that in your podcast. So. We've actually been talking about that a little bit more um, at the gym recently about adding that in um, because I'm fascinated that creatine can help with um, traumatic brain injury. Um, so, and I also think the other side of nutrition is too many fighters not eating enough carbohydrates. So having such low energy availability that they go into the ring, not quite with the, not quite firing and then they get hit more because they, you know, they're not eating correctly. Yeah. Um, but the supplement thing, actually, 
I would say not a lot of the fighters I know are taking creatine at all. Um, in fact, I would say the main supplements they're all taking, dare I say it, are the ones that they think are going to help them shred body fat, sadly. Um, those are the ones I see around the gym and I try and steal them and flush them down the loo. But um, yeah, <laughs> um, it's education that's needed um, around, you know, fueling correctly, whether it be creatine or, um, you know, um, even I know from you, we've, I've got a few of them using those, those isotonic gels before sparring and, and things like that, you know, those, those, those sort of fine tuning things, but the creatine one, I'm fascinated by myself. I think, you know, um, I'd love to see more of them try that. Yeah. Because creatine is, is an interesting one just because it, the brain uses creatine or, or the brain has pools of, of creatine inside of it. And when you get concussion or when you get knocked out, I almost say that, to fighters to help them understand it a bit better. If you have creatine circulating in that pool, i.e. you've saturated your brain and your muscles with creatine yeah. via supplementation, it's almost like an army of paramedics which can get straight to the, you know, straight to the emergency scene. They can get straight there and the creatine can start helping with that, reducing the, the incidence of that concussion injury, that mild brain injury. So supplementing with it daily is something I push. And then with the fighters that scared that it's going to help them put on weight i say okay well you can take it all the way through your sparring then which is four weeks away from your weigh-in and if you really feel like you were talking about mentally about trialing those things way before the actual weigh-in we'll just take it out in because you're not doing anything in fight week just it's not going to make much difference on the whole um retain yeah but just psychologically for them i say okay well i want you to have it i want you to load with creatine during your intense sparring weeks where the brain or the head is getting hit and then if you really feel that strongly about it, we can just stop taking it like in fight week when you're not doing any sparring. And then I know that I've got the bases covered. And one thing which I've seen you mentioned about rugby, my friend who works for, for a premiership rugby club in the UK, I think that he started implementing putting creatine into drinks, pitch side recovery packs. So when the, oh, wow. when the physio runs onto the pitch, they've got on there sort of like, you know, injury pack or the pack which they take onto the pitch they've got water or uh, a drink which has creatine in it so that immediately after they've woken up in their concussion they're getting some creatine in straight away to, to get to the brain so i think you know it's just a, it's just a fascinating area and i could do a whole podcast on it um but yeah definitely with with creatine dehydration and don't forget that the brain uses glucose as well so if the brain is not using the glucose and you're not putting the carbs in the system before spars, then your concentration drops. And then we all know that the worst knockouts or concussions come when the hands drop um, and concentration. Yeah. It's, it's not the concussions where the fighters are ready for it. It's the ones which they don't see. It's the punch, which you don't see, which is more dangerous. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a but no, I mean, I think it's, it's definitely an area. I mean, I, that that's fascinating that they're using it in rugby as a, in, in, in fluids um, because it would be and I think well I mean obviously with amateur where you've got to stay at your weight all the time I mean we need to test it with creatine to see if um, if the fluid retention would cause any issue there in terms of having to be at weight all the time because you don't have that kind of week to play with necessarily um, sometimes you do um, but I think it you know, anything that could start to make a difference to people's health and long-term is, is a really important part of it. Yeah. So what have you, let's get on to 
something I wanted to talk to you about is this whole idea of long-term health. So these weight cuts, which, which people do, or that you've seen people do, mm. um, how does that have an impact on their long-term health going forward? I.e., if they engage in suboptimal, let's, let's call it suboptimal being kind, yeah. uh, weight cuts before fights, how does that have an impact on, on long-term health or what have you seen on the ground? Well, I mean, I've seen, I've seen some pretty intense stuff. Um, and I think obviously, I, you know, females and males, I mean, I think it has to be said, I mean, I love it that female boxing is becoming much more popular and it's fantastic, but women's bodies and men's bodies are not the same. Um, and they don't react the same to um, calorie restriction. So the metabolic damage after, you know, especially like with pro fighting where, you know, they're gaining a whole lot of weight in three or four months and then losing it through fight camp and then get every time they reset that weight, that walking weight seems to go up a little bit higher mm -hmm. um, and then it gets even harder to lose it. And then the effect, the long-term health and damage on the body I mean, not even just boxing. I'm seeing that as a strength and conditioning coach. I mean, I'm not going to name names on large gym chains, but this concept that we um, spend eight weeks transforming. So if you look at a fight camp a little bit, you know, boxing is, is, is different because we're doing it for sport, but this concept that you turn the body round and transform it in eight, maybe 10 weeks most through severe calorie restriction, as you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm older, I'm 50. So I see the damage that it's doing to people when they get to their 40s and 50s where they are almost living off no food in order to maintain a normal body weight and training six times a week, really high intensity just to stay where they need to. And I always say to people, learn to eat the most you can, not the least you can, because your metabolic damage as you get older, you can't reverse it. No. You just can't. It gets very difficult. So with, with fighters... The problem is that the, the short-term goal of winning is the goal and that's what an athlete does. But you do have to think about your health. So there's a balance equation, I think, which is important. It's almost, um, like, almost like every weight cut or every situation where a fighter goes into a severe period of energy restriction or low energy availability, the computer, say like I'm looking at my MacBook Air and it's on 90%, it's like, okay, after fight one or weight cut one, it's going to go down to 87% and then it's going to Correct. go down to 83% and then it's going to go down to 69%. It just keeps down-regulating and that's the, basically that's your resting metabolic rate and the amount of calories which you can eat goes down and yeah. down and down and down because your body gets used to that new set point. It gets used to it and wants to conserve as much energy. So it actually means that by doing these calorie restrictions for long periods of time and not fueling yourself properly, that when you get to 40, 50 years old, you're only going to be, be able to eat 1,300 calories a day to maintain your weight. So, uh, Which would be miserable. Really, really, really miserable. Um, but I think for female fighters, it's even harder, especially female professional boxers, um, because the, uh, the metabolic damage is really with female hormones on top of everything else. It, it's even more severe. Um, and it gets harder and harder to maintain their body weight. And then the mental health damage, the mental damage that comes with not making weight or gaining a lot back in between, um, it becomes as psychological as it becomes physical. Um, and that's, I, you know, I hate 
I hate seeing that. So I think education is everything, sort of understanding how to safely reach that weight. If it is, you know, if you're if you're a pro fighter and you know you're looking at two or three fights and or two or three fights in a year, maybe two, um, not gaining. The other thing is don't let yourself gain 15 kilos back after the fight is a big thing. Um, COVID hasn't, I mean, I know we haven't had it as bad in New Zealand, but lockdowns didn't make that any more helpful because, you know, people kind of got off that bandwagon. But those really large swings in weight when you come out the other side of a fight to then try and lose it again, as you just said, so the, you know, I mean, I'm doing things with my hands, but no one can see me, but the, that swing of, of balance gets even worse every single time you go back into the cut. Um, and your body just says, no, thanks. I don't want to do this. And it gets harder and harder and harder to do it. But people just don't seem to really understand. They approach every cut as if it's the only one that's ever going to happen rather than thinking about, I want a career in boxing. So I need to, I need to find a, a balance here yeah. um, so that it doesn't get worse. And I feel like my job as, as a nutritionist working with fighters is to make that process the, the easiest and safest possible for yes. them, not just for the short term, but for the long term as well, so that they can continue to fight um, for, as, for as long as possible, as opposed to, yeah, getting them on weight for one fight, but then it, it drops their performance and it drops everything and for their health for the, for the next couple of fights. It's, it's pointless in my eyes. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think a big part of that, I mean, um, in New Zealand, um, we love food. Uh, Takeaways is a big part of New Zealand culture. And I remember first time I sort of went to a boxing weigh-in and um, everyone weighed in and then off they went to KFC or McDonald's or um, Burger King um, as their, you'd love this Jack, as their... um, woohoo I've made weight now I can eat whatever I like before the fight in 24 hours and I was like oh wow um that's a bit worrying um so it's changing that if people start to understand food better and they understand nutrition better we may not get those such big swings between coming out of fight camp and and waiting for the next fight camp to start kind of thing um and then it won't be so severe you know it's there is a there is a side to boxing we've talked about it which is um if you're not deprived and you're not you know kind of crawling up to those scales you yeah. haven't really done the job and i just hope that that can sort of check that that kind of thought pattern around boxing can change a little bit and then people might be doing it a bit longer and and they will be of better health as well how have you found ben with that old school mentality and trying to shift that behavior change how have you found it with working alongside perhaps old school coaches that have have you found it what i'm trying to say is have you found integrating with them and trying to change the the fighters behaviors have they been receptive to it or do you find it difficult to try and change the um some are more some are more receptive than others but i think um it's definitely changing for the better here though um you know i mean i don't think strength and conditioning was a big part of boxing even a few years ago um it was old school, you boxed and you ran, you boxed and you ran. Um, but now they're seeing the benefit. We call it, the, the, like I know um, one of our coaches who I adore, he's seen, he says, you know, my fighters are much more athletic. That, that When they train with you, they have a higher level of athleticism when they're in the ring. And that is great because 
that's I'm bringing that sort of power element and with amateur boxing power like explosive power is really important because they have to be fast and powerful um they have to get in and out really quickly so they have to have good footwork as well as power at the same time um so if they're seeing a greater level of, of athleticism because those fighters are doing um not just conditioning strength work it and when I say strength I don't mean heavy lifting because that is absolutely not useful to a middleweight amateur boxer is to come in and do you know sort of that bodybuilding style of of weight training but it's very specific um what I call sort of power speed and agility training um and it's a little bit like training a sprinter in some ways um because they've got to be powerful and fast um and they need to it's it's not just about throwing the punch it's also about getting out of the way of it too so um conditioning someone to do that and it's where the word conditioning can get conditioning doesn't just mean cardio it means um you know I find the biggest thing with boxers is a poor or a weak posterior chain. So they're very um, protracted forward. So they're very strong um, forward, but they're not very strong in their glutes and their hamstrings and their rhomboids and their back muscles. So I do a lot of work on their posterior chain to give them more power. Mm. Um, and they feel the effects, you know, because they can move faster, um, react quicker um, and fight better. So that's, you know, that's my job. Um, but I think, if I can educate the coaches and tell them why, again, tell them why that we're training like that, then they are on board with it. So the training with purpose thing is really important. Yeah, it's just being communicating and almost saying the stuff that we're going to do is going to make your fighter better, not worse. So yeah, yeah. Say, okay, let me do my thing. Let me do my SNC stuff. Um, and almost let like, the results speak for themselves and let the action speak for themselves. You don't, you don't need to tell the coach uh, all of the, the benefits, like you said, on the posterior chain and what you're going to be doing in the sessions. You just need to say, okay, leave the SNC to me. I'll take care of it. And then you can sit back and then just wait for the feedback, the imminent feedback of, oh my God, my fighter was, was so much quicker and like stronger when, when we did the spa the other day. That, that must be, do you know what I mean? So it's almost just like yeah. just accepting that that's your role, crack on with it, do the best job that you can, which you will do. And then that will then have the the appropriate or the good ramifications on their, their boxing performance, which is obviously the end yeah. the nutrition, the SNC, um, any of the other stuff in the performance kind of toolbox is to help the fighter be better at their sport. And that's the whole point. Yeah, and it's really important for me. I like to watch them spar as much as I can um, because I like to see how someone's movement patterns work and how they're how they're working in the ring so I can adjust what I think a weakness might be when when I'm training them um, because that's my job is to make them better at this you know better when they box um, and again you know even from a nutrition point of view if I go and watch them spar and I see them start to peter out um, and I kind of go oh what have you eaten today or um, you know it's a good way for me to keep a check and balance from that side of it as well because um, I'd say the nutrition side of it um, I mean, I did actually, I haven't even told you, I did actually do dietetics at uni. I didn't finish my last year of it because I did a business degree as well. But I know a lot about food compared to any of the average boxing coach, especially the more old school. So I can be more useful on that side of it with them, aside from just introducing them to you and getting them on board with you, um, is just 
those checks and balance, that accountability, I think, you know, when they know they've got someone they're accountable to, they have to answer to, mm. um, it just helps them um, plan and be better at what they want to do, which is, you know, um, box and win. I mean, it's winning that they're in there to do. If, if they're, especially with their training with me and they've got an amateur career or a pro career, you know, the goal is to win. Um, it's, it's not, as we said, just to make weight. It's not even just to spar. It's to win the fights that matter. And that's, you know, that's what I'm there to help them do. Yeah, exactly. That's eating and, and training for performance, not just to, not just to make weight. It's a, it's a quote or, or a yeah. saying, which I've probably used too much of, but it's so true. Like, you, you can't just eat or, or do bog standard strength and conditioning just to try and, to try and make weight or tick a box. It's, it's got to have a purpose. And you got to remember that you're getting in a ring and, and fighting somebody else um, and it's dangerous. And the ultimate goal is is to win. So these things have to support it in the right way, not not bring it down. And I'll just use just use an example because I was thinking about it earlier when you said about um, we were talking about calories and stuff, Leanne, of how fighters maybe eat like, I mean, I've seen it eat around 800, 900, 1,000 calories a day. And then you then say to them, okay, well, your resting metabolic rate, i.e. the amount of calories which you burn if you laid a complete rest in bed all day is 1,700 odd. And then you then have like your normal activities and eating protein, which burns energy. So let's bump that up to 2,000, say. And then you've just sent me your heart rate data where you've expended 1,200 calories in two sessions in the day. So you need 3,200 calories to maintain your weight. And then they start, start thinking, oh my God, I was on a thousand calories. Yeah. And then the, the cogs start to tick and they think, okay, well, if I eat 2,400, I'll definitely lose weight. If I eat 2,800, I'll still lose weight, but it won't be as much as 2,400. Um, if I eat 3,500, I might start putting on a bit of weight, but it's pretty unlikely. And then they then start to get it. Um, yeah. I don't know how, what, how have you found, how have you found kind of, you know, instilling those kind of behaviors or making fighters realize that they don't need to be eating a thousand calories a day. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you've probably seen. It's been a nightmare actually, Jack. Um, some like, I know, I mean, a, one that, that you work with now, thankfully, but um, when I first met them, I mean, yeah, some of them eating a thousand or 1200 a day, they thought on a, on an ongoing basis was what they had to do to maintain their weight. Um, I mean, granted, I, I do actually think when people count calories, they usually count them quite incorrectly anyway. Um, and as we know, it's never quite that simple. But I saw such low energy um, in the gym. You know, there's sort of low mood, low energy. Um, and also, they all seem to think that carbohydrates were the devil. So, um, you know, they, I think social media, if, if you follow the wrong accounts, um, everyone had started to take carbs out of their diet completely, even if they weren't in the last week of a fight camp. Um, it was all the time, no carbohydrates um, and living off lots of liquid food as well, like protein shakes. And I, I was trying to educate people that if you're about to go and spar, a protein shake is definitely not what you want to take on 30 minutes before you go and spar because you're likely, well, you could cover the opponent, but it won't be quite the right way. But um it's just the understanding of, of, of how food works and also that like really lean muscular bodies need carbohydrates even more. Um, so it was just a, a real education. The last year has been a real education process and 
you know, we have a saying in New Zealand, we're very blunt and the whole don't be a dick is what we say to people <laughs> rather than give them the, the sort of like the fancy version is if you think what you're doing is that you're being a dick, you probably are. Um, so if you think not eating for four hours before you train or not eating any carbohydrates, does that seem like the right thing to do? No, I've, I've got, you know, I'm dizzy, my mood's really low, I don't sleep. So are you being a dick? And usually the answer is yes, so don't do it. Um, but it has been hard work changing that ethos because social media, I mean, as you know, has like carbohydrates, have become some sort of evil and and it got adopted into sport which just it has no place in sport um so it, it, oh, I don't think it has any place anywhere to be honest unless you are um you know maybe epileptic and need to be on a ketogenic diet or there's a very medical reason for it there's also lots of medical reasons why taking them out of the diet if you're expending a lot of energy are dangerous so um education has been really good but I think now I'm seeing a really big positive change towards the way fighters are approaching that food I mean I think some of them were put by nutritionists on low carb diets pro boxes and fight camps and they felt so bad um they've now completely adopted another you know re-looking at that macro balance feels so different so thankfully I think it's starting to change for the better I really do um, and you know, you'll get one fighter tell another fighter, try this. And that's probably the best way of, of doing it. Um, but it's taken a while. Um, you know, I think the low carb thing is by far the most dangerous. Yeah. It's just such a high, it's just such a high glycolytic demand sport. I couldn't think of anything more intense than being in a, in a flurry of 20 punches with somebody else and trying not to get hit. It's, it's not like walking to the co-op or something. Uh, it's no. pretty intense. So you need, the best way I say it is, is the fighters that I work with or, or stuff which I would put out on social media on this podcast is that only see protein as your recovery, your muscle recovery. And, and that's, that's all that needs to really be said. And then carbohydrates yeah. are, are your petrol. So you need more petrol on days where you're going further in your car or you're doing more exercise right so when i say that to fighters okay if you've got a high intensity day do you need more petrol and they'll go yes so how are we going to incorporate more carbohydrates and what you said there about the whole um i almost call it like referrals or, or picking up what other fighters are doing i've had fighters maybe rip open a gel 15 minutes before they spar and then other fighters have, have seen them do it and say what are you doing why are you doing that and they go like oh it's my it's my quick petrol top up before i before i get in the ring and then the cogs start to tick again. And then, like you said, they start doing it and feeling the benefits. And I always find with nutrition, it's just it's just really simple things which aren't actually that difficult or we don't need to get into the, the, you know, the metabolism or the breakdown of creatine and stuff. We just need to say, yeah, creatine will help with concussion. Take it. Or yeah, yeah. carbohydrates will give you more petrol, more energy. You should probably eat some more uh, before you spar. So um Although I do think it's important, and as you know, with, with food, um, every single human body is different. So copying someone else's food plan is also very dangerous. Mm. Um, and I see that a lot in sport is someone, you know, gives a food plan to another fighter. Now, they might be different weights. They are, sometimes they're even a, a female to a male or male to a female. Like, 
you can't, you, you, you know, you really need to make sure that it's done for you because we all process food differently. We all, um, our bodies are just different. So it, it can also be a bit dangerous following. I don't, I hate the concept that anyone generically gives out. Here's the, you know, this is exactly what everyone, all of, of 20 people, you should all eat the same thing. No, there's just no way that's going to work. So um, people need to be, like the little tips are fantastic and the education side of it. But then if they really do want to be at the top of their game, they really do need to use someone like yourself who's going to make sure that it's customized for their body and their activity level and how their body processes the food. Because um, I know I work with some fighters who literally could eat anything they wanted to and they don't gain any weight at all. They literally sit at their walking weight. And others who have a blowout and gain three kilos in a day or two. So everyone's different. Yeah, it just goes to show the importance of, of individualized nutrition and, and getting some some form of, I think the, it goes up in kind of three layers for me and, and stuff which I do is is the reason for one-to-one -one support and one-to-one -one coaching is that you'll find the food preferences um, and their lifestyle and tailor it to that and that's kind of customized. But then you can then go up in layers and do, okay, we're going to do metabolic testing and see what's actually under the hood and how many calories you're burning um what you need for different days and then you can take it a step further and then do stuff like sweat rate tests and then get really pinpoint with it but i think as a bare minimum yeah yeah the whole you need to know what that individual their food preferences their lifestyle their training is going to be completely different to even somebody who trains in the same gym because they don't know what their partner yeah. or their friend in the gym is doing outside of boxing they might be doing absolutely nothing whereas this other person is doing strength sessions with you or is doing runs or is doing swimming um, might be walking the dog all these other things so nutrition is so individualized and yeah you can't just can't just apply somebody else's meal plan and hope that hope that it works for you because we're all we're all different and got different lives right so yeah no definitely and I think unfortunately there is a lot of that out there which is um, generalized food plans that everybody follows which has become a little bit of a business making tool that gym chains and people have come up with so people pass that stuff around and it can be it can be a bit um it can be a bit damaging I think um but I think you know in at the higher levels I think it's hopefully changing for the better um as long as we just don't see like an amateur it's a bit scary when people adopt a fight camp mentality to amateur boxing is very frightening um because you're talking about deprivation on a weekly cycle if they're training like each week for five weeks um where they can eat properly for the first three days of the week and then they're starving themselves for the last two before a weigh-in and the effect of that sort of thing is just is is shocking um but you know i think it just the social media can be so good when it's done right and people can get information and access it and then you know approach it from there yeah brilliant I think we're just about out of time Leanne but yeah thank you so much for having this chat with me I've, I've really enjoyed it if the people people want to sort of see all the good stuff that you post or the work which you do with some of your amateur guys you, you put out some really really informative good posts around strength and conditioning and, and dieting and stuff for fighters where can people check you out um mainly my instagram um which is um leanne underscore pritchard um that's 
kind of my main business tool. I'm also launching a business this year, an online strength and conditioning coaching business, which is um, some for coaches and some for um, sort of train like the athletes. So it's athletic strength and conditioning, um, which has been in the works for about a year. So that's exciting. Yeah. So people can work with you wherever they kind of are in the world. If they're a fighter, they can work with you. That's the idea. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's like an online, there's a whole bunch. It's like a subscription programs but there's programs for coaches as well around speed and agility work and strength work um, for athletes so um, that's something we've been working on to try and focus in on that market a little bit because as the way the world is now I mean it's no different in New Zealand to the UK but opening gyms is a bit nerve-wracking in a global pandemic so um, online I do find online quite hard when it's when you're used to being a one-on-one coach with people in a gym um, so it's trying to find a way to do that effectively. Yeah. Well, I wish you all the best with that. And hopefully that your, uh, your Zoom camera works when you when you start doing the online coach. <laughs> <laughs> My technology skills are not so good. Not going to lie. Listen, yeah, thanks for taking the time to come on and um, we'll catch up soon. Awesome, Jack. Thanks.